We've spent the last eight months, almost nine months now, examining the Gospel of Luke. And my goal in that has been to keep holding out Jesus uh, for us to behold. Remember the words of John the Baptist uh, as he saw Jesus walking. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? Uh, Look at Him. Fix your eyes on Him. Behold Him. And so as we see again week in and week out who our Savior is, my hope is that we would be in awe of Him. Uh, So much so that we are changed. Our affections changed. Our desires changed because of the Savior that we have. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of the first chapter of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which parents parents and grandparents, if you don't have it, you need it. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible starts out, and she says this, The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales has come true in real life. And that's what I was thinking about as I was preparing another sermon for us to look at Jesus and just thinking about those words is we have been given the most precious and beautiful Savior. And as we walk through this gospel story, I'm wanting us to just see it again and be amazed all over again at who Jesus is and that our lives would truly be transformed. So we continue with that goal today of beholding our Savior. Uh, Turn with me to Luke 9. I titled the sermon today, Jesus, our unwavering Savior. Jesus, our unwavering Savior. Today we have the wonderful reminder of His commitment to us. His commitment to do everything that it took in order to rescue us, in order to redeem us. And the call for how do we live in response to that. I'm going to read the text, Luke 9, 51 to 62, and then I'll pray for us. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him, because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First, let me go and bury my father. 
But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is here. Thank you for the reminder of Jesus' commitment. Amaze us again as we look at this text and change us for your glory, God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the first thing... This kind of section we're going to be looking at today is is broken down into kind of two sections. Uh, And the first is who our Savior is. The first thing I want us to see is Jesus is our unwavering Savior. Jesus is our unwavering Savior. He was fully committed to us. Fully committed to everything it was going to cost in order to redeem us. And so let's look at these first few verses, 51 to 56 as we're reminded of Him. When the days were coming to a close, for Him to be taken up, He determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of Himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for Him. But they did not welcome Him because He determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus is our unwavering Savior. Verse 51 says, As the day was approaching, as the day was drawing near, that He was going to be taken up. That means that He was going to go back to the Father. He determined to go to Jerusalem. Because, of course, what's going to happen in Jerusalem is He's going to be rejected. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified and die and be buried. And He looked to Jerusalem And it says He determined to go there. Knowing what was coming. Knowing what He was going to endure. Remember, He's already told the disciples twice that this is going to happen to Him. It didn't didn't catch Him by surprise. And when it was time, He looked to the city and set His face to go there and do what He had come for. The wording there actually says like He stiffened His face. He stiffened His face, His gaze upon the city. And it's it's a, a term from the Old Testament that talks about just like complete determination. I'm going to go and accomplish this. I'm going to go and do this thing. Unwavering determination. He stiffened his face to go to the city where he would be able to do everything necessary in order to redeem us, to rescue us. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this. 
And this language that Luke uses, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, is pointing back to that 700 years ago, the prophet saying that this is what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to be an obedient servant who was determined to accomplish exactly what it is God sent him to accomplish. And so in Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 7, we see these words. And this should, of course, if you're familiar with Jesus' rejection when he gets to Jerusalem, uh, this should remind you of those scenes that we see when he was on trial, when he was being abused and mistreated. Isaiah 50 Starting in verse 6, I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. Isaiah says the the coming Messiah, the promised rescuer who's coming to redeem lost mankind is going to face horrible rejection. And in it, he's going to stiffen his face, harden his face like flint and say, I will do everything I need to do in order to redeem them. I will go through the worst of rejection and I will be obedient For them. And that's what Jesus did back in Luke 9 and verse 51 as He set His face on the city where He was going to endure the cross in order to rescue us. And so verse 52 and 53, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem to accomplish this task. And that's going to take Him through a Samaritan village. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews had lots of issues between them, uh, lots of hatred between them uh, that had gone back for centuries. Uh, but the, uh, the Jews really looked poorly upon the Samaritans uh, because the Samaritans were part of the northern kingdom uh, that when it was completely overthrown, the Jews that were left behind intermarried oftentimes with the Gentiles. And so there was this ethnic difference between uh, the Jews in Judah and in the northern kingdom that uh, became Samaria. And then on top of that, they had distorted worship practices uh, that were a deviation from what Scripture had taught the Jews. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans. But Jesus came. Remember, Luke's reminding us, he didn't just come for the Jews. He came as the Savior of the world. And so he wants to go into this Samaritan village and minister to them, just like he has been doing in other villages. However, the town rejects him. The town, he sends in messengers to prepare for his arrival, and the town says, we don't want him to come. We don't want this rabbi, this Jewish teacher who's headed on to Jerusalem to come here. We don't want to hear anything from him. See, the Samaritans were basically just returning the favor that they had received from the Jews. The same treatment that they had often seen, the same scorn and mistreatment. 
I said, we don't want him here. He's not welcome to come here. John and James, quick to defend their Savior. God, Jesus, we can call down fire. We can put an end to this right now. Just say the word. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them for their rejection of you? That's, that's how we're tempted to respond oftentimes. Quick for judgment of others. And they say, Jesus, just say the word. We can wipe them off the map for this. Now, this was not uh, an unprecedented idea. Uh, there's an Old Testament story that's connected to Samaria. Elijah, uh, the prophet Elijah, finds out that one of the wicked kings, Ahaziah, has fallen and hurt himself. And his response was to send messengers out in Samaria to inquire of a false god and ask, am I going to recover from this? And Elijah hears about this and he meets those messengers and tells them, don't go. Tell the king this. Is there not a God in Israel that you would send messengers out to a false God? Don't go to them. Go back to him and say these words and say, because you would not turn to your God, you will not recover from your injury. You will die. And so they go back and Ahaziah says, what, what happened? Why, are you, why have you come back so quickly? I sent you out to inquire of Beelzebub. And they said, we met him and he did this to us. You're not going to recover. You should have inquired of the true God of Israel. And he knew exactly who it was. He said, ah, it's Elijah. And he sends up a commander with 50 troops up to Elijah's and to bring him down because he's so angry at the prophet. And when they get there, the prophet is sitting inside and they call out and they say, Elijah, man of God, come out. And his response was, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And it does. And another group of 50 go up and do the same thing. And he says the same thing. And fire from heaven comes down. God sent down fire to consume them, to confirm that he truly was God's servant. And that the king really was wrong in inquiring of a false god. So this idea from James and John of calling for judgment was not something they just came up with on their own. They, they know the stories. And they say, Jesus, they've rejected you. Just tell us and we'll call down fire. We'll wipe them out. They should have never done this. And of course, they shouldn't have rejected him. But now wasn't the time for judgment. Jesus wasn't there for judgment. He was on a rescue mission. He was determined to head to Jerusalem and do what was necessary to save His own. And so Jesus turns to James and John 
the guys who are nicknamed the sons of thunder because of this. And he rebukes them. No, we're not going to wipe them off the map for this. That's not what I'm here for right now. And judgment will come. Scripture's clear about that. But it wasn't time at this moment. It was time for Jesus to accomplish what He had come for, which was dying for our sins. And so they continue on to another village, heading towards Jerusalem to accomplish exactly what He came for. This reminds me of a verse from the Gospel of John. The determination of Jesus here, uh, even in the midst of this, not, not pausing to try to defend His own character, but continuing on in His mission to redeem the lost. In John 13, verse 1, we see this. This is the night He's betrayed. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from, the world, from this world to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. On the night that He's betrayed, He knows what's about to happen. And He is looking at that And He loves His own all the way to the cross, all the way into the grave. He loved them to the end. He was unwavering in His commitment to redeem His own. And in Titus, we see Paul write these words. Titus chapter 2. In verse 14, He gave Himself, He being Christ, of course, Jesus. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us, to cleanse for Himself a people for His own possession, eager to do good works. Why did He go to Jerusalem? Why did He set His face like stone, determined to go all the way to the cross and die for us? Why would He give Himself up for us? To redeem us from lawlessness. To cleanse us. To make us His own. He was willing to go through the worst for us. To make us a people eager to do good works. We have an unwavering Savior. He looked towards Jerusalem knowing what was going to come, knowing what would happen to him there, and he set his face on the city, determined. Determined to rescue you. Determined to rescue me. He wouldn't let anything get in the way of that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't he amazing that he would have that much unwavering commitment in order to save us from our own sins. Would you believe in Him today? If you haven't trusted in Him for salvation, God's Word says if you would believe in Him and if you would confess Him as Lord, you would be saved. And if you haven't done that yet, if you want to know more about what that means and what Jesus has accomplished for you, 
I would love to talk with you about that. He was unwavering in his commitment to you and to me. What a magnificent Savior we have. And so church, let's continue to be amazed by him. As we behold the Savior that we've been given, let's be amazed. Now, the gospel turns to the appropriate response. We've been shown an unwavering Savior, fully committed to whatever it's going to cost in order to rescue us. And now we see the appropriate response in the last section here. Our unwavering Savior calls us to unwavering commitment. Our unwavering Savior calls us to unwavering commitment. There's going to be three different people here in this scene who are considering following Jesus and committing to following Jesus. And Jesus calls them to unwavering commitment, steadfast commitment to follow Him. So let's look at 57 through 62 back in Luke 9. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to Him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First, let me go and bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three different ways in this short section of how our commitment to Jesus may actually cost us, will cost us. The first is, the call to follow Jesus is is a call into hardship. It's not always going to be easy to follow Him. And so in verse 57 and 58, they're traveling along and someone says, Jesus, I'm, I'm all in with you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm with you, Jesus. And Jesus clarifies to him, look, that's not always going to be easy. There's going to be hardship if you're going to commit to following me. He says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And if you're committed to me, you're, you're committing to a life of hardship, it won't always be easy. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee comforts of this life. Now, we've already seen Jesus talk about this earlier in the chapter. In verse 23 of Luke 9, He says, If, if you want to follow Me, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily and follow Me. It cost people to follow Jesus. The second uh, individual in this scene, uh, we see that to follow Jesus calls us into an urgent mission. It's the most important thing to follow Him. 
And so a second individual, Jesus actually calls out to him and says, follow me. And the guy has a request that doesn't seem too absurd, actually. Lord, he said, first let me go and bury my father. And so when we hear Jesus' response in this scene, sometimes we may think, well, this seems really harsh. Because Jesus' response was, let the dead bury the dead. You've got a a task to do. You've got a job to do. You need to spread the good news of the kingdom. So a couple of things to keep in mind around this scene and this request uh, is in the ancient world, in this time, people were buried the day they died. And so most scholars would argue that the request was not that, hey, my father has died and I need to perform the burial. Most scholars say that that the request is, I need to wait until my father dies so that I can bury him. And Jesus' response is, there's more urgent needs than waiting for your father to die. There's people dying without the truth. You need to go out and spread the good news of the kingdom. Tell people, the rescuers come. The promised one has come. Tell them the good news of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus' response is, is in that. Is there's an urgent, urgent matter at hand. And if you're going to follow me, you need to step into that urgency and recognize this is the most important thing. And then lastly, the call to follow Jesus is into unwavering focus. We have another individual who says, the Lord, I'll follow you. I'm ready. I'm all in. But I, I need to go and say goodbye. I just need to go tell everyone goodbye before I leave. And again, we think, well, this isn't a, a, a harsh, like this isn't a, a request that seems very uh, unreasonable. He just wants to go and say goodbye to his family. And Jesus says, look, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so here, Jesus is calling for focus on the task at hand. And so he uses this farming analogy, or his farming image, not an analogy, but a farming image that says, look, if you're plowing in a field, you've got a task to do. You don't spend your time looking back. If you spend your time looking back, you're going to be way off track. It's not going to be a success. And so he's addressing the issue of... uh, an individual who says they're committed but keeps wanting to look back at the past. I'm ready, but give me just a little more time to go and say goodbye. And he says people that keep looking back at the past, they're not truly fit for the kingdom of God. And that seems terribly harsh. 
R. Kent Hughes uh, in his commentary, who was very helpful, and uh, this is where I got the uh, the uh, you know the wording of that that he's calling us into hardship, he's calling us into urgent mission, he's calling us into an unwavering focus. R. Kent Hughes says, "Those who pine after what they've left behind, who are always remembering the comforts of home and hearth, who dream about how life might have been." had they not stepped onto the road with Jesus, who keep looking into the rearview mirror, they will not do well on Jesus' road. And why, we ask? Because that's not real commitment to Him. Paul lived with this kind of commitment. We saw him speak about that in Philippians 3 and verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Forgetting the past. Letting all that go. And just striving, straining towards the goal that I have in Christ Jesus. Fully committed. Now, If we're honest, every one of us, if we take an honest look at ourselves, the reality is we'll have to admit that there are areas in our life, there are areas in our life that we do not have this kind of commitment. We are at times half-hearted in following Jesus. And that is something to be aware of. And that's something to fight against, but it's also something that should drive us to keep looking at Jesus. He was fully committed to us, to a bunch of sinners, to a bunch of people who at best on some days are half-hearted towards Him. And He looked at us. He said, I will do everything it takes in order to rescue them. I will go to the city And I will die for them, for you, and for me. And so as we hear this call and we feel the the weight of, maybe in some sense I don't deserve it, we have the reminder of our Savior who looked at us and said, I love them this much. Even when they falter, even when they aren't fully committed to me, I'm going to do everything that's necessary to rescue them. He looked forward to the cross and said, I'll do it. And He set His face like stone on it. Nothing getting in the way of rescuing us. So since that's true, church, we can ask God, We can ask God, God, show me the ways that I'm not fully committed to Jesus. Show me the ways that I'm really half-hearted or some days maybe even quarter-hearted. Show me the days that I'm not all in. And we can confess those and we can commit again. Hey, because of Jesus... I can do this. Because of Jesus, I can commit myself again 
because He's worth it. We can commit to follow Him no matter the cost because He truly is. So how do we do it? We keep staring at our Savior, amazed at His commitment to us. And then we say, Holy Spirit, change me. Give me this kind of heart. I can't do it on my own. Make me into the man you want me to be. Make me into the woman that you want me to be. We can pray that prayer because Jesus set His face on the cross and endured it in order to rescue us. Would you join me in that this week? Remember my goal. Uh, I want us to keep beholding Jesus. I want us to keep being amazed by our Savior. And today, we saw a Savior with unwavering commitment to us. Committed to doing what it costs in order to redeem us. And if you want to know more about trusting in Him for your salvation, please see me after the service. If you want to schedule a time to talk with me, you can fill out one of the uh, yellow response cards on the seats around you uh, and drop it in the offering box at the back and I'll contact you to set up a time to talk. And church, let's commit ourselves again to the unwavering Savior that we've been given no matter the cost, because He truly is worth it. He was and is unwavering in His commitment to us and our redemption, and He's worthy of our unwavering commitment to Him. Let's pray. God, You are so good and faithful. Jesus, thank You for Your commitment to go to Jerusalem, endure the cross, and die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. God, it is right for us to confess that there are times that we are not fully committed. Help us. Keep working in us. We know You're not through with us. And so keep shaping us into the people that You want us to be and use us for Your glory. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.